Our Old Testament lesson this morning is a short one. It's Psalm 133. And it is the entire psalm, but it's only three verses. This is one of the songs of ascents of David. And this is one of the uh, psalms that people would sing as they went up to Jerusalem for the various festivals that would take place there if they lived elsewhere. And... Uh, This can be found on page 971 in your pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would um, help us to hear it this morning. You would help us to hear it with ears that are open. You would help us to understand it with minds that are uh, ready to learn from you. I pray that you would help us to hear it with hearts that are ready to receive it and be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. I will admit there's some confusing parts in there if you're not familiar with either the geography of Israel, that's Mount Hermon, Hermon's not a guy there, and, uh, <laughs> and also the culture of the people, or the pouring of the oil on the head. Um, that meant something. And Aaron as the, the priest, who, that, that, that's a, anyway, we'll skip that for now. Uh, I kind of feel like this is one of those things on NBC, the more you know, sort of. <laughs> the more you know about the things going on there, the more all these make sense. Matthew 28 is where we're headed next. This is page 1553 in your pew Bibles. And uh, this is a longer than the last one. This is verses 1 through 20 from Matthew 28. And this is how Matthew ends his gospel account starting with um, starting with that first Easter Sunday morning. So here we go. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that he shook and became like that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you." So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and 
uh, and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is uh, the second Sunday of Easter, and uh, as we mentioned before, we celebrate and gather together on Sundays because of the resurrection of Jesus, and we looked last week at the resurrection of Jesus and how that actually works out in people's lives, how that changes the way people live because Jesus has raised from the dead. And we saw this in um, Paul and Silas, who... We're traveling around in Philippi preaching the good news, and what that got them was thrown, it was beaten and thrown into prison. And, um, and so instead of bemoaning their fate, they're actually singing and praying to God in the middle of all that. When then there's an earthquake, their chains fall off, and instead of escaping, they stay where they are so that the guard doesn't get killed for letting anybody escape. And so instead, he comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And they share the gospel with him. And he and his whole family believe, and they're baptized. And this is all happening in the middle of the night. Um, this, morning, or <laughs> this, morning, this morning, we're going to look at what happened that next morning after all of that took place. And we will see how the gospel is continuing to work its way out in the lives of Paul and Silas and the way that they respond uh, to all of this. And one of the things... We have to just have clear in our minds that one thing that the resurrection of Jesus lets us know beyond anything else, when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, you don't get to the resurrection without first going to the cross, right? And at the cross, we see that there really is evil in the world that this is the greatest act of evil that has ever been done, is when God comes to the world in flesh and the world rejects him and kills him. That is, that is not good. <laughs> that is really, really bad. That is like the worst thing that could ever happen. And so we say, yes, there is real evil and trouble in the world. There is real injustice in the world. But the thing the resurrection shows us is that it doesn't win. The evil doesn't win. That even when all of that gets thrown at uh, Jesus, that death itself can't even stop Jesus from being raised again to new life. And so that is one of those things where you say, okay, we see that there. But then how does that work out in our lives? When we experience evil and injustice in this world. Now, I will tell you, if you have... Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news at all 
you know, in the last three, four hundred years. Um, Whenever you have noticed there is injustice going on in the world, and to one degree or another, you may be really bothered by that. If you have not noticed any, (laughs) then either um, you are turning a blind eye because you're benefiting from it, or you just haven't been paying attention at all. (laughs) Here we go, though, with... um, Paul and Silas, who have been wrongly imprisoned, wrongly beaten, and not just because it is morally wrong to do that, but even legally in their system, it was wrong to have done that. In the Roman system, this should not have happened, and yet it did. So how are Paul and Silas going to respond? This is not a part where Paul is, you know, like in his letters teaching you what to do. Here's how you should live. This is just Paul and Silas, you know, Luke is telling us this is what they did. This is how... They worked it out in their lives because of, uh, because of Jesus and the resurrection. So here we are picking up the story then in Acts chapter 16, verses 35 through 40. So after that whole night with the Philippian jailer, and it says, When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. This, by the way, is the second time they've been released. Remember the, in the night before, the earthquake shakes, opens all the prison doors, their uh, chains are all released, uh, are let loose. So they are, they are released at that point. They can go free. And they choose to stay, right? So now here it is. Okay, now the magistrates are saying, you may be released, you may go. And for the second time, they don't go. <laughs> the first time they didn't go for the sake of uh, the jailer. The second time they don't go, well, why? The magistrates, the jailer told Paul, back in verse 36, the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Well, the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. It seems like maybe Luke is using a little understatement there. They were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. All right, so here they are in Philippi. They are going to leave, and they're going to go on to other things, which we will see in weeks to come what happens from there. But here in Philippi, how they leave is important. They are released from prison by the magistrates, and they don't go. We said this last week. You know, who, who doesn't go when you, <laughs> the prison doors are open and you go? Why would you stay there? But they stayed then for the jailer. Now they stay for the magistrates and for the other Christians in the area. Paul and Silas, even in this moment, are still not 
focused on what is happening to them for the sake of them. And this is an important point when we're looking at the injustices of the world. Because so often the way that we address injustice is someone is doing something wrong to me and that needs to get fixed because no one should treat me like this, right? That's sort of the way that we handle injustice. But what's actually happening with Paul and Silas is things happened to me, but that's not the point. The point is how does this, how is this going to affect you and how is this going to affect other people? That is the issue at hand. Look at this. If Paul, because it was illegal by Roman law to beat a Roman citizen, and especially to imprison one without even trial, without anything, this was all illegal. Did Paul know he was a Roman citizen before they beat him? Yes, he did. (laughs) Could he have spoken up ahead of time and said, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that. He could have. He could have saved himself a beating. And you know what? If you flip on over to chapter 22, that's exactly what he does. So he knows this. He can do this. But he doesn't do it here. Because it's not about him avoiding this injustice to him. It is about the people who are perpetrating the injustice. And it's about the other people who might face the same thing in the future. This is still all very much other-focused. And here's the, here's the great thing about it, though, is we do see a, uh, a role reversal. You know, the, the kingdom of God is just upside down from the kingdom of the world, right? And so this is why Jesus is able to say, the first will be last, the last will be first. You see all these kinds of everything getting flipped upside down in the kingdom of God. And this is one of the places where you kind of get a, a little taste of that. Because when the magistrates say, you know, let's beat these guys, let's throw them in prison, okay, the next morning, let them go, who has the power? The magistrates seem like they've got all the power, and Paul and Silas seem like they have no power, right? That is the situation in the minds of the magistrates. What we say goes, and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, now you fast forward to the next morning when they say, okay, you can go, and they don't go. And then they explain the reason why they don't go. And it completely flip-flops the power structure. Because the reason they don't go is they say, what you did was not right. Now, in this situation, what could happen at this point is if Paul and Silas raise enough of a stink about it, these guys will lose their jobs. The city might even lose prominence in the entire area because this should not be done. Now, does that sound familiar to today where people get upset about something and people start losing their jobs? That's how we deal with everything now. If someone did something wrong, someone must be fired. That's how everything goes. And that was the situation here too. They raise a stink, these guys lose their jobs, and even the whole city could suffer because of it. But that doesn't seem to be the motive that Paul and Silas have. Their motive does not seem to be, how can we punish these guys because they did wrong to us? Instead, it seems to be a matter of conviction. How can we let them know that what they have done is wrong? To where they are personally convicted, that they are grieved over their own sin, 
that they acknowledge that they did wrong, that they would repent of it and want to not do that anymore in the future. Right? That's what they're doing. That is how Christians confront injustice. The problem is, in, that, in, in their society as well as in our society, no one wants to admit they did wrong. No one wants to admit they did wrong. It's become such a thing in um, kind of pop culture that on there, I don't know how many movies and TV shows there have been where you'll have a husband and wife arguing and one of them realizes they were wrong and the other one says, go ahead, say it, say I was, and you've seen this, right? I don't need <laughs> And they're like, ah, uh, and they don't want to say it. Like that's become a thing. You see it in a lot of different, nobody wants to admit I was wrong. And that happens just between two individuals. And the more you have at stake, and the more public it is, the less people want to admit it because if you admit that you are wrong, then you have to deal with the consequences, right? And so even when people know they were wrong, they don't want to have to deal with the consequences. And so they will dig their heels in and try to spin everything they can to make it look like, well, what I did wasn't really wrong. But if you don't admit that what you did was really wrong, then how do you move past it? How do you move forward and not do it again? This is where Paul and Silas are not interested in getting these guys punished. Not interested in getting these guys to suffer because they suffered. They're interested in getting these guys to admit they did wrong. And so that's where they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. In other words, you now have an option. You have done wrong. We know you've done wrong. We are the ones who could be the whistleblowers at this point, and you could lose your job. Or you could just come admit to us you did wrong. And if you do that, then we go. But that's what it takes. And so the guys come, and it says, uh, they were alarmed, of course, but then they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison and requested that they leave the city. I love that. So far, everything they've done before this moment, everything they've done, it's like what we say goes. Do this, it happens. And now at this point, they're like, um... Do you think maybe you could go somewhere else for a while? <laughs> because now they understand that power structure thing I was talking about earlier. They had the power in the beginning, or so they thought. But now they recognize it has been flipped. They come back to the prison to escort out these prisoners because they realize that the prisoners actually have power over them. That if these prisoners decide that they're going to make a fuss, they're out of a job, which means a lot. And so now they're asking them, as those without the power, could you please, if, if it's not too much to ask, <laughs> maybe you could go out of the city. They understand that the authority structure has flipped. Um, and, of course, one of the reasons why I keep saying that they thought they had the power. Do you remember what... Jesus said to Pilate when he was on trial. 
was like, aren't you going to answer me? <laughs> Don't you know I have the authority to have you set free or to crucify you? And Jesus says, you would have no authority if it weren't given to you from above. Right? In other words, there is a higher authority than you. So I'm not concerned about that. And then what we just read in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so when we look at these magistrates saying to do this to these guys, and we look at Paul and Silas and we say, those guys have all the power and Paul and Silas have no power. We say, that's just how things appear on the surface. But if we really believe that Jesus has all the authority, then this could flip. (laughs) And in fact, the thing that we hold to, the thing that we believe in, is that one day it all will flip. And that what we see in the example of Paul and Silas that particular morning is just a small taste of what is coming for the whole world eventually. That one day the light will shine on all the injustices and all the wickedness and all the evil, and it will flip. And we will see that Jesus does have the authority. And this is where Paul says to the Philippians, in his letter later, that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? That's what's coming. This is what we long for. This is what we look for. This is what we hope for. But, and here's where it has to come home for us first. Paul and Silas are able to have this kind of response to the jailer, or not the jailer, the magistrates. Because they can put themselves in those shoes. As you've been reading this, or as we've been talking about this story so far, have you seen yourself kind of identifying with Paul's position, or have you seen yourself identifying with the magistrate's position? My guess is everyone in here has been identifying with Paul, right? That's kind of the way the story is told. Paul, though, it seems is actually identifying with the magistrates. He knows what it's like to have authority and to misuse it. He knows what it's like to have someone beaten and even killed who didn't deserve it. He knows what it's like to be the one who has the authority and who does injustice, not just as a Roman to another citizen of Rome, but as someone representing God and doing so to a citizen of the kingdom of God. This was Paul's story. And what he found is that what he needed was not to be crushed. What he needed was to receive grace and mercy, and that's exactly what Jesus gave him. And so when he met Jesus, he found grace and he found mercy, and he was instantly convicted of all his own wrongs. This is what he needed. That's what he received. And if you remember the parable that Jesus tells of the, the king who has the servant who owes him money, and he says, oh, please forgive my debt. And he says, okay, you're forgiven. And then he goes out and he finds someone who owes him even less. He says, no, you have to pay me back. Jesus says, what's the king going to do? But that's the situation we generally want, 
We've talked about this before. That what we generally want is mercy for me, justice for that guy. (laughs) Grace for me, justice for her. What Paul is showing us here is as he is living out his life now as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as one who knows that everything is now upside down, the power structures will flip. He can identify with his persecutor. He writes uh, to the church in Rome, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Right? Right? In fact, you want to know what he thinks about all this stuff? Read chapters 12 and 13 of Romans. It's fascinating, especially in light of this sort of thing. I've completely lost my train of thought. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It seems like I was halfway through making a point, and now I can't remember what it was. (laughs) well then I won't ask you to remind me where I was (laughs) Um, I was Paul identifying with uh, with the magistrates because he knows what that is like yeah something about that I don't know I bet it was really good (laughs) anyway I, I'm sure I will get it at 1230 today, but anyway. <laughs> All right. Man, that's going to drive me crazy. Anyway. Um, I don't know. There we go. That's the young guy. <laughs> Grace, grace for me, mercy for me, justice for them. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what we want. But that is not uh, what Paul is doing here. He's identifying with this guy, and he's able to say, just as I received mercy, just as I received grace, that even though uh, I am receiving injustice from this person, he doesn't need for me to set things right. I know that there's a judge who will set it all right one day. What he needs for me is mercy and grace. But uh, if you go back to Matthew 5, where he says if someone slaps you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek also. And that is not so they can just keep hitting you. The idea there is you didn't strike back, but you're going to not run away either. You're going to stand there and let them know that what they did was not okay. That's what Paul and Silas are doing. If they just leave the prison at this point, the magistrates don't get to learn that what they did was wrong. If they don't learn that what they did was wrong, then even if Paul and Silas go away and go, you know what, we're not going to hold it against them, we're going to forgive them, we're not going to raise a stink to Rome, whatever, the magistrates don't benefit. The way the magistrates benefit is when Paul and Silas stay there to say, you, what you did was wrong. But we're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> to have them actually come face to face with their own wrong, with their own sin, 
But instead of receiving judgment, receiving mercy and grace. That is where uh, the message of the gospel actually breaks into real life, into relationships, and brings healing and restoration between people, but also in whole systems. And I said before that um, the reason that Paul and Silas had this sort of reaction, the reason they wouldn't leave prison right then, was not because of their own selves, but because of, for the sake of the magistrates, but also for the sake of all the other Christians in the area, right? Because it's if these magistrates don't learn, they're going to keep on doing the same thing. And so the next time there are Christians out uh, preaching about Jesus and someone gets upset about it, they're going to go have them beaten, thrown into prison. But probably not now, right? Not after they have seen that what they did was wrong. And the way that they had kind of a, a close call there with, uh, with the judgment that they know they deserved. They're probably not going to do that again. And so Paul and Silas, in this one move of staying in prison again when they were free to go, they have now uh, <laughs> given up their freedom twice, once for the jailer and the second time for the magistrates and for the other Christians in the area, and really for all in that area. And so again, um, the question for us comes back to how have we received mercy? How have we received grace when what we deserved was judgment? And we really acknowledge that. And then can we identify then with those who need the same thing from us? And can we be, as we sang earlier, be strong in the Lord? And have the strength to stand there and let those doing wrong know that what they're doing is wrong. Not so they can be condemned. Not so they can be um, judged by us or seek their destruction. But so they would come to repent. That they would come to know mercy and grace and salvation. In short, that everyone would come to know Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.